live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Mark Casello, a Democrat professor from Calumet College of St. Joseph. Judith Sherwin, a pro-Trump Republican and an attorney. And in our second hour, Todd Benzman, author of America's Covert War, our program tonight coming to you from my home base at Salem Radio just outside Chicago, uh, AM 560, The Answer. Nice to have you with us this evening. Phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289. I don't think there's been a recent show that has as much to discuss <laughs> since the last time we got together. It's a pretty slow week. Yeah, it's been a very slow week. But again, we, uh, we're we going to spend a couple of hours talking about uh, about politics. And then in the second hour, uh, Todd Benzman, for those that have heard him on this program in the past, uh, he is an investigative journalist. He's an author. I don't think there's anybody knows more about what's happening at the border and the intricacies of, of fighting the, the, the border security issue that we have in this country than Todd. And again, that will be our focus in the second hour of our program this evening. But again, I want to begin by uh, welcoming Mark Casella, who's our Democrat, Judith Sherwin, our Republican. And Mark, we're going to start with you tonight because uh, it was a big week for the president. Uh, the president was basically uh, uh, the special counsel, Robert Herr, came out with a report that said that, uh, you know, there was some willingness on the part of Joe Biden to uh, hide some of those uh, secret documents that uh, were in his garage, uh, but that there was going to be no prosecution. And then he went on to say and added that uh, possibly that Joe Biden was sort of a sympathetic elderly uh, man uh, who basically would not do well in court, and that's why they decided not to proceed. So, again, uh, uh, some good news and maybe some not-so-good news. How do you assess uh, the good and the bad in that report? No, absolutely. I, I'll just step back one second. And, um, you know, in reading through at least the executive summary of the report that's mm-hmm. been put out, <clears throat> I, it didn't push as much on his age as the media, of course, has picked up on it. And right. I, I don't think his age is any surprise to the American people. Right. Seventy percent think that. But there were really three reasons they laid out uh, regarding um, convincing a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. And the first was that um, he could have found the documents in his home in 2017, then just quickly forgot about them. That could have created some plausible doubts. Secondly, um, it was only a month after he left office when they've got him on tape with his ghostwriter basically saying, hey, those classified documents are downstairs. Um, But it was only a month after he left office, so the people might be sympathetic to that. And then the third was the point about um, they actually said that the documents were kind of in damaged boxes around like household, Mm -hmm. you know, old tennis rackets and things. Rocking chair. (laughs) Rocking chair. And so that might suggest that it wasn't uh, that important. So I do think you know, certainly the memory piece is in there and the idea that he could be presented as a sympathetic kind of witness, uh, uh, a sympathetic defendant. <clears throat> but I do think uh, the report's actually more even-handed than it's been portrayed in the media, in my mind. Um, okay. I think it's, fair, it's fairly uh, fairly damning. And, and as a citizen, I don't like to see presidents <laughs> throwing classified documents into their garage. But does the... Does the does the assessment of him as a as a living breathing person 
Uh, doesn't that reinforce one of the main planks of the Trump campaign? And that is, this is an old guy who is out of step. And, and here you have a, a, a third party making that assessment, albeit a, a, a special prosecutor that was originally appointed by Donald Trump. Uh, however, uh, this, he was, a pros- he was prosecu- or appointed now by Joe Biden's Justice Department and uh, Merritt Garland. Sure. I, I, I do think that message is out there already. So I don't think that's, that's not quite as damning. Uh, certainly, we'll remember the campaign that Biden was, you know, we, there were jokes about Biden hiding in his basement bunker. Yeah. And he's been interviewed much less. So um, he's been out of the, the, you know, he always says, watch me, but he's not out there <laughs> um, as Can't much find him. as he could be. Um, so I think that's more damning in the long run. Judith Sherwin joins us. Uh, she is a Republican. She has, I would predict, a different assessment. Uh, just focusing on the on the on the Biden problems at the moment. Uh, your assessment, Judith? Sure. Um, well, first of all, uh, the fact that the special counsel decided that uh, he was going to not prosecute because of what sounds like diminished capacity with respect to the president's memory. Uh, is is an interesting point. But before you get to that point, the prosecutor has to decide this guy has committed crimes, okay? He definitely committed crimes. The thing that needs to be pointed out, the Presidential Records Act does not protect the vice president. It does not give a senator, which he was, and some of these documents go back a long time before he was vice president. It does not give him the right to take documents out of a skiff. It doesn't take him the right, give him the right to take home documents. It doesn't give him the right to try to publish a memorandum that he wrote to Obama to make himself look good about, oh, let's not go into Afghanistan. And, and it certainly doesn't give him the right to take those documents, discuss them with his, with his um, ghostwriter, who then goes and deletes all of his taped yeah. conversations. But Judith, but Judith, That's obstruction of justice. Judith, one, 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 one question. Would you also acknowledge that the federal, uh, federal prosecutors, their, their track record of victory is just like in the high 90s. Yes, it they is. They don't take anybody anybody to trial unless they think they got them you know, locked, locked in in all well, sorts of And in this case, no, I think looked, it's just, not, just, let me finish my question. Well, they have him, they, they know what, He's has done, mm-hmm. but he the, the uh, Mr. Her made the assessment was we would win this case because well, of these other things about his personality and yeah, his abilities. Well, because his because of the fact that he has a diminished capacity, the government doesn't try people who are unable to understand the gravity right. of their situation. What he was saying in that report that I read, I read the executive uh, part. I also read other parts of the report. I also read one of the attachments from the White House that said, don't put this stuff in your report. You don't have the right or the ability or the, uh, or the, the appropriateness. Uh, appropriateness to put this stuff about his memory. I mean, it's pretty damning that he couldn't remember when he was the vice president. He couldn't remember when his son died. I mean, he's clearly, look at what he looks like now. 
look at Joe Biden, even when he left the White House, when, not the White House, when he left the vice president's office. That's not the same man. He, he clearly, there is something wrong with him. He looks like a dementia patient in a nursing home, and he behaves like one. And, and so that kind of a person is not going to get convicted okay. by a federal jury. Uh, when we I, continue, I, w- I want Mark to, to respond to that. And uh, because of the way that Judith just now and many Republicans are reporting this, including some very friendly conservative media folks, are you is piling on Joe Biden going to help Joe Biden? That's the response I want to get from Mark. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. We can tell you about the incredible success we bring to local businesses, but it's better when it comes directly from our satisfied clients. Here's just one example. After searching for a new vendor to handle my search marketing campaign, I contacted Salem Surround after seeing the great work they did for another restoration company in the different market. Their team of experts recommended a mix of multiple tactics designed to get my business the most quality leads at the lowest cost, making my marketing budget stretch further. In our first year partnering with Salem Surround, we recorded our best year to date, and I've told many people how blessed I was to find them. The representative answered the phone every time I called and quickly addressed any questions or concerns I had. Let Salem Surround give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and show you what your competition is doing. Then we can come up with a personalized plan that's perfect for your needs. Visit surroundchicago.com and let our marketing experts help you achieve real success. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit TalkAboutVaping.org. That's TalkAboutVaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. 
From Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont. We continue with Beyond the Beltway, and I want to ask Mark Casello, our Democrat, uh, based on what Judith said before the break and what you've heard on radio and television, do you, and from Republicans as well as some uh, media uh, commentators, do you think that there may be uh, a piling on of Joe Biden and, and the, the age and the, the, the feebleness that he's depicted as? Yeah, I think the the piling on I don't think is going to hurt him. There's there's nothing new in that. But I, I think the real problem, and I haven't heard uh, his supporters address this yet, is the clear optics of pursuing Trump to the end of the earth for his Mar-a-Lago documents. And then here, oh, well, yeah, we found some serious mishandling mm-hmm. of these documents, but we're not going to prosecute. You know, we're going to decline. And, and then there was a private declin- declination uh, report that goes – to the attorney general. And so we don't know really what was spelled out in that. Um, and so I'd, I'd be curious, you know, what, what further uh, revelations were there. But there was a strong argument in the report that Biden made, which was basically that, hey, every president before me has done this kind of thing. Except he wasn't the president at the time. He didn't have even a colorable right mm-hmm. to take those documents. So, you know, this is like referring to immigrants when you're talking about illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nice to change the definition of things. Yes, he is the president now. He was not the president 50 years ago. He wasn't the president 10 years ago. He wasn't the president 2017. So he did not have the right to take documents that were classified. A a question to those who are uh, voters out there who, Mm -hmm. who may not be uh, as up to date on political matters as anybody at this table or anybody uh, in the in the national or even local media, um, do you think? Put your general psychologist hat on. Do you think a lot of people? I mean, maybe a majority of people uh, will see the difference between Joe Biden and what he did, and what Donald Trump did, or are I, they or are they just two issues of two presidents? took things they should not have taken and put them in their homes. Well, first of all, uh, I think most people are smart enough to know that Joe Biden wasn't the president when he did that. Okay, that's number one. The people who will not see the difference are the people who put things up on on Twitter and Facebook. They're some of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life in terms of the things that they believe about Donald Trump. A lot of people. I understand. Well, a lot of people, a lot of loud people, but a lot of people have gotten the idea that this is craziness, okay? So, and for the people who think that it's okay, then they think it's okay. I don't think it's a majority of people, and I think the proof of that pudding is look at Donald Trump's numbers, okay? Since these prosecutions have been going on, instead of his numbers going down, they're going up. They're going to prosecute this guy into the White House, and and it's like they can't stop themselves. I mean, it's it's completely bizarre. But, but there is a big difference with respect to Donald Trump's situation. And as a matter of the law, okay, I don't see how this, this court in Miami is going to eventually survive. I don't even think this case gets to a jury, quite frankly, because of these issues that are coming up. And the things that Trump did, who had a colorable right to do what he did, okay, in a case that was established with respect to Bill Clinton and his sock drawer, okay? Bill mm-hmm. Clinton took took tapes, stuck them in his sock drawer, 
and and conservatives filed a lawsuit against him to try to get that stuff and to have him held accountable for that. And a judge who's still on the D.C. Circuit established as a matter of law that the president can take whatever he wants and put it in a sock drawer if he likes. However, what okay, about, what that about the, case? Well, okay. let me finish. That is a precedent that applies to Donald Trump. Maybe it doesn't apply to the crazy people writing on Twitter, but it applies in a courtroom. What about those that would argue, however, mm-hmm. uh, as uh, certainly was put uh, put in, in the report about the way in which Joe Biden cooperated? He cooperated. He answered questions. He did five hours of conversation, which much of which is now been described and summarized in some of the negative uh, depiction of Joe Biden. And Donald Trump threw up roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Well, and again, so, just a second, I'm, I'm talking about to the average person out there. Do they see that because one person cooperated with the government, maybe he's treated a little bit differently than someone who doesn't cooperate with the government? Okay, so first of all, you're under no obligation to cooperate with the government. Ever. Do you think Ever. Most, do you think most people know that? Yes, I do. Okay. Even teenagers know that. And I know that because I teach constitutional law to teenagers online a couple of times a week. Even they know that. You have no obligation to cooperate with the government. You have no obligation to help the government prove their case. But in spite of that, okay, Trump did work with them. He did give them stuff. He did. They asked him to lock up some documents. He went. He locked up the documents. He, in his own way, he did cooperate with them. He didn't give documents back. But something you need to focus on is the archives have never asked anybody else to give documents back. They never asked Reagan. They never asked Obama. They never asked Clinton. Both sides of the aisle. Nobody ever asked for documents back. And it's not up to Donald Trump to make the government's case. I'll let Mark respond to what you said. You've got a a good, long oral argument there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I just want to come back to some tactics that are being used to defend the president. And so Mm -hmm. here you have a week. You have a a dynamic jobs report last week. You've got Mm -hmm. stock market at a record high. There's things that that they could be out there touting. And instead we've got, you know, uh, his immediate cabinet coming out, Kamala Harris coming out and saying, hey, you know, Joe Biden is somebody else. That Joe Biden you see up there mistaking world leaders and, you know, fumbling. That's what he's always been. That's what he does. But behind closed doors, let me tell you what you got. Sharp as attack. Sharp as attack. And I just, nobody's buying that. No, you know, right. I, if you want to tell me, you know, hey, Joe Biden has some, some good policy ideas, and now look, they're paying off, inflation's coming down, gas prices are lower than they were in the past, and hey, just bear with him, inflation's going to get better, interest rates will come down. That's a legitimate argument to make, and I think a stronger case to the American people. But right now, you've got... People are tired of Trump prosecutions. They don't want to hear this count of he might be indicted. He's got 91 counts against him. And we just keep repeating that number. If any of those will ever stick, we They're don't not. know. And, and, and as Judith pointed out, that's helping Trump's numbers. Absolutely. You know, Biden could take a cue from Trump and he should double down and come out and say, no, I'm not a doddering old fool. Actually, I passed uh, the, the infrastructure bill. Actually, I passed student loan forgiveness. I you know don't that think you should use the word doddering. Well, <laughs> right. well, he didn't pass student loan well, forgiveness. He didn't. He, just, he, he took his he pen, pen and he, yeah. That's his power. He yeah. could do it. 
Uh, um, but, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. All right. So. Now let's 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 switch to the uh, Supreme Court. Let's, let's let's switch back to Donald Trump and uh, okay. uh, what at least uh, appears to be uh, uh, maybe heading in a very positive direction for for uh, former president. And uh, Judith, you uh, listened to uh, the oral arguments for several hours. Uh, well, well, no, it was, okay, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, your assessment of uh, what it sounded like to you? Did it sound like? Does it sound like a win for him? For Trump? Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, you know, I'll tell you something. Uh, when I was listening to the oral argument, I was remembering something that a colleague of mine said when I was working on an appeal with him. He said, "If you bring that case up to the Supreme Court, the best thing you can hope for is a running start for the door because they're going to kill you." Okay. That's pretty much what happened to this guy from Colorado. I mean, Gorsuch just destroyed him. Okay. Even Clarence Thomas, who's usually very, you know, people criticize Thomas because he doesn't ask a lot of questions. And he's been asked about that. And he says, you know, I don't want to beat up these people who come up there. Even he was beating this guy up. Even, even Ketenji Brown was beating this guy up. He is, if this is, the worst this is going to be, I think, is eight to one. The other thing that I, I think is you always know, I've done a number of oral arguments, you always know when you're going to lose. I mean, you really do. Um, or, well, yeah, yeah. You don't, when you're, when you're winning, you don't know exactly how you're going to win or what it's going to be, but you know when you have a, a court that's sympathetic. Take us inside the law for a second, Professor. Tell us... Tell us the dear. Obviously, we know the difference between an oral argument and a non-oral argument. Mm -hmm. But when are oral arguments proper, and when are written oral arguments? Well, so the okay, arguments. so the process of the Supreme Court, um, it, it's a very, uh, very particular kind of process. Both sides get they file their the appellant, who in this case mm -hmm. is Donald Trump, files their brief. The appellee who's the responding person, which is yeah. Colorado, they file their brief. And after each side files their brief, they get a chance to reply to one another. When all that is done, then the court sets it down for oral argument. That usually takes something like seven or eight months, okay? In this case, mm -hmm. it took, what, a month mm -hmm. at the most? And so, um, I mean, the court, I think the oral argument is important to clarify for the judges certain questions that they have for the justices, some questions they might have. Mm -hmm. But you can pretty much see where they were going with this. Um, they do not want to take a position that one, Kagan said it, are you going to let one state decide who can run for president? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to, I mean, she didn't say we're not going to do that. But she's a pretty smart lady. I don't agree with her on a lot of things. She is very smart. She's not going to go for this. Um, I don't think um, Katenji Brown's going to go for this. So this will I don't be know a win. This, this, will be a, this will be a win for Donald Trump. I would hope so. And when so. we come back, I want to talk with each of you and talk about how that plays in the court of public opinion. We're going to interrupt our oral arguments tonight. We present <laughs> oral arguments every Sunday night on this program. Yeah, but I don't have to months. file a written brief I first. I know, but I sometimes have to cut <laughs> you off because you talk too much. Back shortly <laughs> from Chicago. I'm a lawyer. I can't help it.
This is Carol Platt-Lebow for townhall.com. The illegal immigration crisis isn't just what's happening at the border. Many who come here illegally are simply in search of a better life, but others are criminals. And too many of our leaders, who are supposed to uphold our laws and protect our people, aren't doing either. Two votes in Congress last week made that painful reality clear. 155 Democrats opposed a bill that would have made Social Security fraud or other identification document fraud a deportable offense for illegal immigrants. And 150 Democrats voted against deporting illegal immigrants who drive drunk. This is unacceptable. Not only are these Democrats condoning the violation of our immigration laws, they're lawlessly siding with illegal immigrant criminals over the fellow citizens they've sworn to serve and protect. And they're violating their oaths of office. Let's hope Americans remember on Election Day. I'm Carol Platt-Lebow. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border. Nice to have you with us. Our Democrat tonight is Mark Casello. Our Republican is Judith Sherwin. And uh, we'll take a moment and let each of them uh, briefly introduce themselves to the audience. And we'll start with Mark Casello. I'm Mark Casello. I'm the chair of the Department of Humanities at Calumet College of St. Joseph, where I teach uh, English and media communications. And uh, I also live and promote uh, historic preservation in Chicago's Pullman National Historical Park on Chicago's far south side. And you were in ver- you've been very involved in that in a long time. Yes. And it's now a national monument. Yeah, it's a national historical park. Historical so that's a park. congressional designation that cannot yeah. be repealed unless Congress does it. So it's a permanent uh, sanctification of the site. 
Very good. That's great. And uh, Judith Sherwin, for those that are dying to know a little bit more about you, tell them. So uh, I'm an attorney in Chicago. I also teach law school at uh, Loyola University School of Law, where I've taught uh, classes in constitutional law. Uh, I practice uh, mostly in the healthcare field uh, when I'm practicing law. Um, and uh, I always enjoy coming on the show and uh, sparring <laughs> a little bit with Mark and sometimes a little bit with Bruce. <laughs> and you used to be a liberal Democrat. I used to be a liberal Anti-war George McGovern. No, no, no. I was never really a... I, I, I suppose Eugene I voted... McCarthy? No, I, I was a Gene McCarthy. Yeah. Okay. I was I was a Kennedy Democrat. Um not a Robert Kennedy, the father Democrat, but um, Gene McCarthy, yeah. Okay, you're now back with us. <laughs> yeah, you want to say that to me. We God have bless a, you. We have a telephone caller on the line. Let's go. No, we don't have a telephone caller on the line. We will hopefully soon have a telephone caller on the line. 1-800-723-8289. Mark, you were going to make a comment on, on some of uh, Judith's uh, last uh, oral arguments to the audience. No, I, I you know, I... If the Supreme Court decides the way Judith uh, sees it coming down, I think that's good. I think the American people should have a say, especially after all of the, the hand-wringing about our past election, the coming through the pandemic, those changes that happened to the voting laws and states. And we just need a nice, clean, fair, transparent election, I think, with, with no interference by states pulling people off the ballots. I think most Americans just want to go cast their vote and probably not for either one of these two candidates, but that's might that's, be their only that's choice. That's the way it goes. It's a binary <laughs> choice it's, so yeah, far. It's, 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 now, are but, you, what do you think is going on in the higher echelons of the Democratic Party based on what we've heard about Joe Biden's age over the last several months and then exacerbated by the report, exacerbated by the press conference on uh, last Thursday night? Um how active are people trying to get him off the ticket? I assumed that at some point before summer that they would take Joe Biden off the ticket if they could. Um, that's do you what want I've them to of... do that right now? Do you want them to take Joe Biden off the ticket? Look at the, you know, just for as a political strategy point, Biden's approval rating is so low. It's historically low. Right. I just I'm worried as a progressive who wants to see, you know, legislation initiatives move forward. Congress potentially swing to a Democratic majority, much to do this uh, disdain <laughs> and disgust. Um, we need somebody at the top of the ticket that's going to bring people out, motivate them and excite them. And I don't think that's Joe Biden. I don't think he's motivating Generation Z. Um, so I, I, I'd be OK with that. And 83 percent of those surveyed, Republicans and Democrats, 83 percent think he is too old. So yeah. who 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 would it be in, in your ideal world? Obviously, we've heard conversations about Governor Newsom. We've heard conversations about uh, Governor Pritzker here in Illinois, mostly uh, induced uh, by those in Illinois. <laughs> by but, Governor Pritzker. But <laughs> what... Uh, <laughs> But but who would come out of that? Who would be the? Would it be? Let me say, if he is forced to step down or chooses to step down, how do you argue against Kamala Harris a move moving up as the candidate? 
Yeah, I think that would be very difficult. I think that would be very difficult. You might have Kamala at the top and then maybe Gavin Newsom come in as the VP, um, <clears throat> possibly. But come, both, from, both from California. Both from California, and so you got some weakness there. Um, but you could bring in a J.B. Pritzker from the Midwest or somebody from uh, – He's not going to run his vice president. <laughs> that's not right. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I do th- – Do you think mm-hmm. – do you think as a progressive – do you think that Kamala Harris would be able to carry the banner of the progressives like uh, you would like? I, I know from the progressive community that they saw her previously as a prosecutor and mm-hmm. as on the side of law enforcement, and which would be good in a general election. But for the progressive base, I don't think it would excite them. Um, because she's seen as sort of part of the law enforcement apparatus. That's so nobody else that's out there. Again, uh, just is it just Pritzker and uh, Gavin Newsom? Uh, you know who who else we've got in that bench? What's there? what's the name of the guy uh, running <laughs> in the primary? Oh, uh, Dean Phillips. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, what about the the third party kind of uh, idea? Well, I mean, RFK. RFK's out there. He's hitting a lot of states. He's raising money. Yeah, they're not going to give him the nomination. That's not going to happen. No, but is there there some party line? Because Mm -hmm. he's only, uh, at least as based on his own uh, work now, he's only on the ballot in two states. Right. However, he is seeking, uh, you know, conversation with libertarians. He's looking for a line to run on. Right. And uh, he could have some impact on the election. Oh, I think he's going to have an impact on the election. In what way? Well, I think if he gets on more states, he's definitely, and if he gets on the swing states, he's definitely going to have an impact on the election. But, you know, I, I want, we keep talking about Joe Biden's age, okay? It's not Joe Biden's age that's the problem. It's Joe Biden's apparent inability to respond to things, his apparent... I'll use the word slipping into dementia. That's the problem. Mental acuity. Mental acuity. It's it's not his age. Okay, Donald Trump is what four years younger than he is. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody. And, and we'll think about Joe Biden. Even four years ago, he wasn't really kind of all there either. And the mental acuity is not going to get better. No, it's he's not it, going to be younger. Well, it's not the younger. It's the getting worse. It is getting worse. You know, if I were one of his staff people, I would have practically jumped out of my chair and dragged him out of the room Thursday night when he turned around and went back to the podium because he came out with a with a thing, you know, with a with a little form of what he was going to say, and he said it, and it was it was okay, it wasn't terrible, feisty. But, but yeah. when he turned around and went back, I would have, I, honest to God, somebody should have tackled him. Because that's when things got really off the rails. I think I think they, a, a worse experience happened either the day or two days before, when he could not remember Hamas, and a reporter had to right. give him feed him that answer. That was a pretty devastating. We have callers on the line. Let's go to Al. Alice, listening to us in beautiful Lake Forest, Illinois. Al, nice to have you with us on Beyond Hi, Bruce, the Beltway. Thanks for taking the call. Good. Um, my my question is this. Who let Biden give uh, sit with uh, Prosecutor Her uh, for that that interview? Because he did it like um, two or three days after 
the Hamas attack. Yes. And, you know, why didn't they, why didn't somebody say, put it off for a couple weeks? That is a good question. First of all, I don't think he necessarily had a choice of sitting down with the special prosecutor. He might, but I doubt that. However, your point is well taken, is that uh, the, the, the five hours of interview over two days did take place on October 8th and 9th. That was the day after uh, the uh, terrorist attack on Israel. So uh, uh, there, there were other things going on in his mind at that particular time. But again, it, it still, I don't think it answers the question of, of why certain you know, dates and, and important things that were not known. Yeah, I mean, you don't get to choose when you're going to sit down with the U.S. attorney, or in this case, the special prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact, I, I'm not sure why the fact, I mean, I read that, well, it was two days after the attack in Israel. You mean he was so upset by the attack in Israel he couldn't remember when he was the vice president? I mean, how how upset would he be if somebody else declared war on the United States and he wouldn't be able to handle that? I mean, He's got to be able to handle more he than became one thing. Very, he became very indignant, however, in the press conference on Thursday night. Very indignant that the prosecutor brought up his son, uh, Bo. But you and, see, and the year that he died. But and he couldn't a, remember the year I understand. He died. But that is, there's a reason for that, okay? I, you know, prosecutors aren't nice. And if, if there's something that everybody should have learned over the last four years, watching how they're going after Trump, watching how they're going after other mm-hmm. people. Prosecutors aren't pleasant. When they're going after someone who they think is a target, which clearly they were looking at Biden as a target, they ask them things like that. So you can be indignant from now until tomorrow if you like, but if you've got a guy sitting in front of you who is the vice president of the United States and he doesn't remember... You, you could say to him, well, what year did your son die? Or what year did you get married? Or what year did you do this, that, or the other? If he doesn't know, then you say to yourself, does this guy, to, what am I going to do with this guy in a court? Does it play to a sympathetic person out there? Would it a, play, because a, lot, a, a lot of politicians have gone a long way on sympathy votes. I want We've got a break. That's the question. Okay. I want to come back to you, let you respond to it. Thank you. Uh, when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont from Coast to Coast and Border to Border. Oral arguments between Judith Sherwin <laughs> and Marcus Seller tonight. Don't go away. Dennis Prager, sign up today for an unforgettable experience in Israel this October. Mike Gallagher and I are traveling to the Holy Land on the Stand with Israel tour with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. This trip of a lifetime to Israel is one you don't want to miss. Register today before it's too late at StandWithIsraelTour.com, StandWithIsraelTour.com, or call 855-565-5519, 855-565-5519. You're smart. You're busy and don't have time to waste on the mainstream media cycle. Salem News Channel breaks that cycle. Topics that matter from hosts worth watching. Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. Salem News Channel, not like the other guys. Watch anytime on any screen, free, 24-7. 
Find everything you need to know at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Mark back. We continue. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. And again, we're talking about President Biden and also uh, President, former President Trump and uh, their legal issues that they're dealing with. Uh, a question that I would like to ask, and I'm going to ask you, Mark, first, only because Judith has uh, uh, had quite a bit to say tonight, as she generally does. But as a Democrat, um, can you make the argument that that uh, what we have here is we have a demonstration that we really have one form of ju- justice in the United States? That, that this charge of dual, double standard between Democrats and Republicans is a bunch of bull. It doesn't exist. And that obviously is a main point that Donald Trump has made over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the the Democrats are doing themselves a disservice when they come out and they're talking about the gratuitousness of some of the language in this report. Mm-hmm. I think they should be doing just what you're saying. They should be coming out and saying, actually, this is a fair report, and 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 then just point to the factual basis of the report <clears throat> rather than uh, focusing on the the you know the the descriptive language about diminished capacity mm-hmm. that Judith referenced. I think if they came out and said, look. Uh, they went through 20 hours or more of interview tapes. They could only find one reference to these classified documents. And they state that there's no evidence otherwise um, that he had these classified documents in that house. And so there, there's a lot of factual evidentiary basis they could argue against. 
So I, I think that would that would serve them better. And I, I do think, you know, and you've, say, got, you've 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 had some people out there saying that 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 they should call for Merritt Garland's uh, you know resignation. And my question is, I mean, you know, trying to be as objective as possible, the Republicans have talked about the double standard for a long time. Uh-huh. And again, it was the Biden Justice Department that decided to move forward with an indictment of his son. Mm-hmm. And it was Merritt Garland who hired Robert Hur. It wasn't it wasn't Trump. Robert Hur selected him. And then they had the investigation. Robert Hur certainly had to present this report to the attorney general before he presented it to the public. Mm-hmm. So the attorney general saw all this. He didn't red mark anything out of it. So this is sort of a, a, a very strong example that at least the Attorney General of the United States is acting in a very objective, bipartisan way. And, it, and in the other argument, I think Judith doesn't really hold water. Which? Well, well that, that, that somehow the, the, the Biden Justice Department has been going after Donald Trump and ignoring things that have been said about Joe Biden. They haven't ignored things that were said about Biden. They haven't ignored things said about Hunter Biden. The well, guy's been indicted on tax fraud. Yes, but he hasn't been indicted on what he should be indicted on, which is, is uh, you know, the, the issues with the being a, a foreign agent, well, okay, working but he's been for indicted. foreign governments, he, he's been a, taking the, money from those, our adversaries. Those are the things that Republicans want him indicted on. But the point is, the guy has been indicted. I mean, but the guy could the go point. through the system and go to prison. But just, he's not going to prison. Come on. He could. His, as long as his father sits there and before he leaves that chair, he's going to pardon him. You know it. I know okay. it. And Mark knows it. Everybody in the world knows it. So it just gives them an argument. Look how even-handed we are. I don't understand why Merrick Garland was in a position where he couldn't stop that report. Okay. Clearly he saw it before the white house saw it before the proof of that is an attachment for a letter from the white house attached to the report that says, don't put this stuff in there. Okay. The reason those questions were asked is in order to do away with the potential of a defense of diminished capacity. All right. But and Garland, let me just, let me no, say no, no, something no, no, no. I'm about ask that. Garland did not did not do what the White House wanted him to do. No, he right. didn't. But you know, there okay. may be a shred a shred of integrity left. I'm not sure it goes well, beyond a shred. Well, okay. and you know, you know what Garland didn't do, which is you know, during the Mueller report, we're going back to the Russia, Russia, Russia. Um, Bill Barr said, "We're going to hold that report, and instead, you're going to read my summary." Of what the report said first. Yeah, Garland he, could have done said. that with this. Garland could have put out a memo, said, hey, we'll get that full report from the special prosecutor next week. But today on Friday, I just want you to know the president's been exonerated. Here's my letter stating that. The president and, wasn't exonerated. Well, I'm just okay. I'm playing the, the Trump playbook, the, I, the bar. But the no, bar I hear playbook. you. Still a word. All right. He was not exonerated. He, the, the report, look, CNN immediately on responding to this thing. I couldn't believe I was watching CNN. They put a guy on, I don't remember who it was, who went through what Biden said in the press conference and said the president is misrepresenting what is in this report. And he gave three very clear examples. 
he he showed the clips of Biden saying I didn't give out classified information. He showed the report that said, yeah, he did give out classified information. And and there were two other instances of things like that. So, you know, it, it he was not exonerated. The prosecutor came to the conclusion that he broke the law. He also came to the conclusion that he had a diminished capacity defense and that this wasn't going to fly in front of a jury. That's what he came to the conclusion. That's not exactly something to be proud of. That's that's the good news and the bad news. Okay. Yeah, you broke the law. But from a legal perspective. You but don't remember a, you broke from, the law, so Judith, we're not gonna process. From a legal perspective. From a legal perspective. That's not exoneration. Just a second. He's not going to be charged. That's He's right. He's not going to go to prison for these charges That's right. that you feel. Well, first However, of all, let me finish. Okay. However, he is wearing the jacket of an assessment from uh, the special prosecutor, just like Hillary Clinton had to wear the assessment of James Comey when he came out and said, no, we're, we're, she did all these horrible things. She was sloppy. She was everything else, but we're not going to charge her. Very similar cases. Well, In other words, we're going we're gonna, to— we're not going to charge this person, but boy, we sure as hell are going to mess them up in the world of politics. <laughs> well, it wasn't, and that's what he did. Well, he, you know what? He didn't mess her up so much with that, uh, Comey. What really messed she her wasn't up? Wasn't elected. No, I know, but what really messed her up was ten days before the election coming out and saying we're going to take another look at it. That okay. really screwed her up. That was that was the double the double shift. Uh, Judith Sherwin and Mark Casella were here. In the next hour, we're going to be joined by Todd Benzman. We're going to totally switch the topics. We're going to be talking about illegal immigration and how to fight it. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away from coast to coast and border to border. You're listening and watching Beyond the Beltway. So we may have. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, we have just learned that our guest, uh, Todd Benzman, uh, is having a little difficulty connecting with us tonight because he is in Mexico. Hopefully he has not been taken by the uh, cartels. And, uh, <laughs> and that was the first steeze in 44 years on this program live on the <laughs> We'll put that in the uh, in the archives. In the archives, the first sneeze. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about the issue, even though Todd's not here. But I want to talk about the domestic politics of it all, and I want to get again go back uh, to Mark. Start with Mark Casello, and uh, get your assessment of uh, uh, how powerful do you think uh, the Democrats can make the case that it's the Republicans and Donald Trump that are really making things difficult at the southern border. How realistic is that? That's what they're going to try to do. How realistic is it? Yeah, I do think the the collapse of this bill, because I was reading through that bill and I thought, well, is it really, you know, is it really have as many teeth as they say? Is it is it really as, as good? And, and I did read through it. And to me, it seemed like a pretty strong bill because it seemed like it would make everybody unhappy. <laughs> so, because yeah. it, I mean, there was there was quite some pretty strict, you know, provisions in there. The the shutting down the border, 
um, the emergency authorities in there, the funding, the uh, acceleration of hiring at the and border. And the union liked it. And the union liked it. And then on the flip side, you had the codification of the end of family separations at the border. Uh, the Democrats would like that was in there. Um, other things that I didn't get as much coverage that are in there were, um, for example, um, expanding citizen or uh, immigration visas to Afghan uh, uh, individuals who mm-hmm. were supportive of the U.S. That was a big, uh, it was a big provision in their expanding uh, visa access for Afghans. Um, Since this thing was shot down by Republicans in the Senate, Judith, however, the media has absolutely taken a poker up the butt to Republicans for screwing this thing up and giving them a huge issue. Your your response to that? Well, um, you know, I think to to blame Republicans for what's going on at the border is is. Uh, it's a pretty interesting trick when you consider... How about the loss of the bill? Well, the loss of the bill. I, there are things in the bill that were good. There's no question about it. There are things in the bill that are not so good, like allowing $5,000, uh, excuse me, 5,000 people as a threshold, uh, mm-hmm. 5,000 people a day before mm-hmm. you shut down. the. But you know how many people that is? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's crazy. All right. Nobody wants to. Nobody should want to do that. So I can understand why the Republicans would shut that down. Plus, it wasn't a clean bill. It was tied to other things, namely aid to Ukraine, which is is not exactly a hot Mm -hmm. topic uh, amongst both sides of the aisle, even though many of the Democrats won't admit it. Right. I understand that Todd Benjamin now joins us. Todd, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway. It's good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we had just spoken with our Republican and Democrat in studio, uh, giving their assessment of the defeated Senate uh, uh, bill to close the border. Uh, do you have any uh, comment or assessment on uh, either the quality of that bill and what, 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 whether it would have helped the condition down there or worsened it? It would have worsened it in an extreme way. Uh, one of the reasons is because uh, none of the provisions in it uh, specified how they were going to remove uh, and deport and detain people when the time came supposedly to close the border. Um, so if you if you understand how uh, illegal immigration works, the fundamental dynamic there is uh, they will come as long as they are allowed to get in and stay in. Uh, and everything that I read in the in that uh, bill showed that uh, when they close the border, that doesn't mean that they're going to actually close it. They would just put everybody into, subject everybody to, let me put air quotes around, subject Mm -hmm. everyone to removal proceedings because subjecting people to removal proceedings has been going on for years. We we do that right now for three years, but we don't actually remove anybody. We just put them into removal proceedings and let them go. And so, you know, that's an immigrant's golden chalice right there. Uh, so as long as there was no deportation or detention specified anywhere in this and no mechanism to force uh, a closure of the border, it was meaningless, completely meaningless, while codifying a 5,000 benchmark. Right. Uh, that you can come in up to 5,000 day, a day for some period of time, which is unbelievable. That's a huge number, uh, tens of thousands, mm-hmm. you know, millions a year. So, um, and also 
one last thing about it is that it it allowed for people to come in and, and make an asylum claim and be released for up to 90 days. They were going to so, supposedly expedite the removal uh, process, um, expedite the asylum process, give them an adjudication in a quick way while they were released on their own recognizance, which means you'll never see them again. Right. So nothing would have changed. Nothing would have happened except that if Donald Trump were to um, win re-election and uh, take office in 2025, he would have had this big piece of legislation blocking all of the policies that he was actually planning because mm-hmm. right. the piece of legislation. Yeah, so there's a reason why Donald Trump would not want this to happen because it would tie not. his hands. And, and uh, again, it just the, the, the overwhelming response uh, from the national media to this story uh, you know, has been, as I said, a, like a poker up the butt because it's it, it's it, that's it's always... taking any it's taking anyone who who feels that the media is against you. It just takes that and just exacerbates that position. But I want to I want to go back to specifics within within what's happening right now. Insofar as if right now, if somebody came through uh, one of the illegal entry points, Todd. And the first thing they said to the Border Patrol is, I want to seek asylum. What happens to them right now? Take us through the process of the person that uses that term when they hit the United States. Well, whether they say that or say nothing at all, they don't have to say that right now. Okay. Uh, Still 100% of them will be on a bus to Chicago within 24 hours. (laughs) Um, Everybody gets in. It is literally the definition of an open border. Uh, I mean, I think Mayorkas uh, went public uh, a couple of weeks ago saying, yeah, we're pretty much releasing more than 85% at the border who reach the border and cross illegally. But do we take their names? Do we take their names at the border? Yeah, they'll bring them through a processing center. Uh, Border Patrol will... Uh, it's like a big soft-sided uh, wall. There's like 20 of those things up and down the border. They bring them off the, the, the border as fast as possible, release them on their own recognizance to report in voluntarily, like at some point in three or four months. When we, release. When we come, released. When we, we've got to pause right now, Todd. When we come back, I want to follow that trail and get into some other specifics of those that are that, that run across and don't even use the word asylum. We'll do that with Todd Benzman, investigative journalist, author of uh, a great book, America's Covert War, the untold story of the nation's battle to combat the... As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today. 
In the new video series, Fault Lines, Professor Vody Bauckham examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Along with Mark Costello and Judith Sherwin, this is Bruce Dumont in Chicago. And uh, joining us uh, on the Zoom tonight is uh, Todd Benzman. He is author of the book America's Covert War. And I did not get the subtitle out properly before the break. The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to, pre- to present or present Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. The Nation's Battle to Prevent jihadist infiltration. Todd, back to you. Uh, so somebody, uh, the, their name is taken when they come across the border. Uh, they're put on a bus to someplace else, including Chicago is one location. But does a manifest of the, all of the people on that bus go with the bus driver to Chicago or New York or other cities? Well, the vast majority of them are brought to an, a private NGO, usually around on the border. Yeah. And then the NGOs sort of uh, help them buy bus tickets on Greyhound or sometimes they'll charter a bus. Uh, but it's a commercial That's matter right. at that point. Just buy a bus ticket and then they go to Chicago or whatever. Or they take um, a plane. 
or they take a take plane. plane. Yeah. Okay. That's right. They'll fly. Uh, sometimes uh, NGOs will provide, uh, you know, the the uh, the cost of that flight. Um, but for the most part, it's a commercial affair at that. At, you know, by the time they're they're released. And who are a, who are these NGOs, uh, Todd? Who are they, and what uh, what do we know about them, and how many are there? Well, nobody really knows the totality of that. I would I would say there are probably hundreds of them across the country. Some of, a lot of them are just on the border. Like, you know, there's, there's one in Del Rio. I was just visited uh, two days ago mm-hmm. uh, called the Val Verde County um, Migrant Assistance Center or something like that. And their job is to, you know, Border Patrol comes out of the soft-sided facilities with a big load that they just stamped in on personal recognizance. They take them, they bring them inside. They say, where do you want to go? I want to go to Chicago. I want to go to New York or whatever. And they're like, okay, let's figure out a, a bus route for you. And it'll cost $60 a person and we'll help you then. We'll get you to the bus station. Um, so they're like a travel they're, agent. They're like yes. a travel agent for these people. And, and again, if they've got more money, they can take a plane. If they don't, uh, they, they pay them there. And again, these are agencies from all over the United States. Or are they primarily from, uh, uh, you know, larger states? Yeah, it's a conveyor belt. Uh, these things are operating mm. all along the border. It's a roaring machine. It goes seven days a week, all day long, every day for three years straight. Millions and millions of people just bussing all over to every, uh, all four corners of the United States. How does it, how, how does it, how does the, and that's the asylum uh, procedure. And we should mention to those listening tonight that the asylum is something that is, it, it's, it's a law. So again, these are, they're following the law, even though you may not like the law. But if they're not following the law and they don't use the word asylum, uh, what happens to them? I mean, we, we call them illegal, illegal immigrants, but is there a mistake that they're not asking for asylum? Or are they using some other term? No, the, 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 the issue there is that they're supposed to claim asylum and they're supposed to get a very quick expedited uh, adjudication on the, an initial screening at the border. But um, that's not happening. Nobody's doing that. Uh, there might, there's probably some small amount, some small number. If they get a decline uh, on that, they, they're still just released on appeal and the vast majority of them never follow through. They abandon their claims because the whole point of, of the asylum system is not to actually get asylum. It's just to get that initial pass border patrol. And then you're free to just kind of um, disappear. But in this, probably- in, this, in, in this legislation that was recently uh, rejected uh, by, by the yeah. Senate, uh, was there not an element of that legislation that increased the number of judges at the border so that adjudication could be effectively handled uh, more than it is? Yeah, not judges, but asylum officers. Okay. They're transferring the power from judges to All right. asylum officers at the border was what they envisioned. It's the exact policy that's in place already. 
that they're not using, but it was going to pay for more to hire more. But it's just, it was useless because they were going to release them anyway into the interior. As long as you release them into the interior, you'll never see any or hear from any of them again. And, just, and, and those NGO, those, those of them yeah. get asylum. So they don't bother to follow through because they are not actual eligible asylum seekers. Like almost none of them are eligible for asylum. They're only eligible to claim asylum, but very few of them, you know, less than 10% ever actually get asylum. Our guests in the studio have questions for you, but I want to ask one more follow-up question. You mentioned these NGOs that are close to the border, um, and they're acting almost as travel agents, putting people on buses or planes and sending them. uh, It's basically, is it to where they want to go in the United States? Is there a long list that they go, or are certain cities recommended that they go there? What, What sort of what sort of input do these NGOs provide as to where they're going? None. They, they can, they're free to go to any city they want to go to. There's no restrictions. Uh, once they have their, their papers, their uh, personal recognizance release papers, they can go wherever they want. So, so again, they, 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 we, we hear, obviously, because we're in Chicago, we hear a lot are coming here. A lot have gone to New York. Some have gone to Los Angeles. Some have gone to Denver. Are there other large cities that are accepting large, uh, you know, numbers of these people, or is it is it really focusing on cities that have declared themselves to be sanctuary cities? You know, I think that we know about those cities because their mayors are are um, squeaky wheels, so to speak. Yeah, you know, they've got their hands before. But I think that there are many, many cities across the country that are suffering in silence. Uh, because I, I have interviewed thousands of immigrants. I'm right there in the bus line with them going, where are you going? Indianapolis, where are you going? Uh, you know, Nebraska, Oklahoma. I mean, they're going everywhere. I mean, I, I, I don't know of a state that is, uh, that's escaped this. Uh, but, you know, Chicago, obviously, um, you know, your, your mayor is making a big uh, stink out of it. So we're all thinking, oh, they're going in Denver. Their health care system is failing. And, um, you know, uh, you've got Florida and Florida is not a sanctuary state. They go there because they're, they've got family and friends there. Well, that's good. Uh, they go with family and friends. Um, our guests in studio have a question. I think Judith Sherwin will let her take the first uh, crack at you. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. Um, very interesting to listen to what you have to say. I, I think it's important to talk about what the actual rules are currently about getting asylum. Asylum doesn't mean I want a better job or I, I'm impoverished and I want to come to the United States and get a job. Could you talk a little bit about what the actual rules are for asylum, just so people know? Yeah, sure. You, the, Our asylum law, I mean, it's part of an international treaty. All signatories to the same treaty um, ascribe to or subscribe to the same kind of general rules. This is also similar for regular refugees too, which is a different category. Uh, but you have to be able to uh, show that you would suffer government persecution on the basis of five, uh, and I'm going to try to name them all here if you want, on five um, criteria, which include things like 
sexual orientation, race, um, immutable characteristics, uh, generally, you know, political party, political opinion, or membership in a social group. Uh, and, and if you can show that you would be persecuted uh, on the basis of those by usually by a government, uh, crime is not one of them. Right. Uh, regular, like, you know, we hear that a lot. People go, oh my God, there's gangs, but that's a decline. No judge gives asylum or maybe very few for that uh, mm-hmm. the cartels, or whatever. But mm-hmm. and then you you have the ability to appeal uh, the decision. Uh, and then appeal the appeal. You can appeal if you want all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court for twenty years. Where do, where does the appeal? Where does the first appeal, or when does the first appeal happens if you are rejected uh, in your first uh, interview? <clears throat> yeah, that would that would be to the EOIR, the Executive Office of Immigration Review. Um, under the new way, with these asylum frontline asylum officers. They're trying to give them the full authority that judges now have or have always had. Um, when they decline you, then you a- appeal to a real immigration judge. And then the real immigration judge, you know, they're four years backlog. So once you mm-hmm. do that, you're in five years before anybody appears any appeal. Then you can go to the EOIR. Then you can go to the district court. Right. Then you can go to the uh, Fifth Circuit or the Circuit Court or whichever. I'm in the Fifth Circuit. Uh, and and it, you could go all the way to the Supreme Court until yeah. the Supreme Court says we're not going to handle that. But, so at that, at that particular point, you're, you're in the U.S. Uh, justice system. For about 20 uh, which, years. Which, 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 uh, which takes a while to, to move forward. When we come back, I yeah, want to talk right. more about this and also talk about some of the other countries down there. We know about Mexico and Venezuela, uh, about how uh, prolific they are in uh, allowing their uh, citizens to leave their country. I'm Bruce Dumont from Coast to Coast and Border to Border. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Video series Fault Lines, Professor Vodi Bonkam examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit SurroundChicago.com. Remember to visit SurroundChicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. 
once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Rooster Mon, we are back. We're talking with Pod, Todd Benzman. Uh, he is the author of the book America's Covert War, the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. And again, uh, Mark Costello is here. Uh, he is a, a Democrat, Todd, and he's got a question or comment for you. Hi, Todd. Uh, so uh, Hi. my question was the, the federal government defines deportations as removals and returns. And I know uh, back when President Obama was in his first term, he was heavily criticized by progressives for being the deporter-in-chief. He had uh, deported somewhere around 3.2 million uh, undocumented immigrants during his first term. So can you give us a a sense, you know, the impression I'm getting these days is that you just come in, you you demonstrate, you know, any of the asylum factors and you're in. Can you give us a sense of our removals and returns still proceeding and what is the pace of that under the Biden administration or under Trump's uh, term? Sure. And you're right. Uh, you know, Barack Obama was called the deporter in chief, but, you know, he went on to also say that when he was asked, why do you keep deporting and detaining illegal immigrants? And he turned around and, and to the person and said, because it's the law. The law says I have to do it. And he said, I am not a king. Mm-hmm. I have to follow the, the law. Um, mm-hmm. And he did. He was correct. Uh, the difference is that the Biden administration at the very get-go announced in advance of even taking office that he was going to put a moratorium on deportations, mm-hmm. all, all deportations. Uh, now, that was thrown out very quickly when it was challenged and the Supreme Court threw it out. But they quickly came up with a plan B, which did the same thing. It all but ended interior deportations. Now, <laughs> There was some Title 42 pandemic kind of returns at the southern border under, you know, Title 42. You could push back. Trump was pushing back about 90 percent of all apprehended immigrants on the very first day, inauguration day. 
the Biden administration reduced that from 90% to about 60%. And that's what started this mass migration on the very first day. Uh, and then very soon after that, he reduced it to 40% and then 30%. So that like 70% of everybody who reached the border was being let right in. And then they eliminated Title 42 in May, just this past May. And now we're like at about 100% uh, entry and stay. And that's why you have a mass migration crisis. Those policies are driven by the far progressive left of the Democratic Party coalition, uh, who are allowed to take control of the immigration portfolio, the border portfolio. And they have this ideology. You, I mean, it's very, uh, I'm not going to go into it here. I do in my new book, by the way, which is called Overrun, uh, it's newer than the other book that you're mentioning, and it's mm -hmm. all about this particular border crisis. I dedicate a full chapter to who these people are and how they took over uh, from the regular Democrats. I mean, okay. regular like the Obama type Democrats. Bill Clinton was pretty tough on border security like Obama was. Uh, but this administration is something entirely different. This is something is no Democrat. Have it, ever done before. Is this, as you look, this may, you may touch this in your book, Overrun. Is this the, the group of people that are though, that are looking for anyone that's coming new to the country who may have brown skin? They, they let them into the country easily through an expanded and, and unenforced asylum position in the hopes that down the road, Congress, if it ever becomes Democratic again, will somehow wave the magic wand, create legislation that will give them a pathway to citizenship, and we will have millions of additional people who will have come here and maybe, maybe at least generally speaking, be supportive of Democrat politics. Is, is that... Is that the core of what they're after in your view? Well, the, one of the other very first things that the Biden administration did was they proposed a plan, a bill for just that. That would be a broad amnesty for 12 million illegally present people in the United States. It failed because we have a split Congress. Uh, but the short answer is yes, they've already shown us that this is a, an ultimate objective. But in the meantime, uh, there are plenty of ways to uh, get millions and millions of people into the country to stay and make it an, an almost like a wicked problem for, you know, any Republican uh, administration to come in and, and clean up. There are just now millions, six million, five and a half, six million new people who are all running around with deportation orders on them, you know, or they're soon going to be deportable. But no, who, how are we going to ever you know, round up, you know, 3 million children out of school. And they've just created a facts on the ground problem for the next administration. And so they're all here uh, and, and probably not going anywhere, even though President, uh, former President Trump says that he's going to have the greatest mass, migra uh, the greatest mass deportation yeah. uh, in the history of the country. I mean, it'll be good luck with that. I mean, right. 
it's going to be tough. To, and it to will be, it, 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 it will, be, it will further change the climate and the environment of America. If, if everyone suddenly is, is informing on a neighbor who they think is, uh, you know, yeah. in this list, a yeah, question back, a, a back to those that are on the asylum. I want to just follow through, uh, the procedure here. We, you've got a conveyor belt that goes directly from the border to the NGOs. The NGOs put them on planes, trains, and automobiles, and they send them to uh, cities all over the United States. It isn't just the big three. There's other cities that are getting them. Uh, so they're basically sending a you know a clear message to those cities. They've got to get raise additional taxes or find funds to deal with them. But is there any promise for uh, funding, food, or overhead once the asylum person gets to, let's say, Chicago or Denver? Because we hear about these people being compensated. Is that part of a law anywhere where they're compensated? Or is that a, is that a federal law? Is it a state law? Is it a county law? Where do these laws come into being? So my understanding, I mean, you mentioned Chicago is a, probably a good example. I think Chicago is giving every uh, immigrant family uh, $7,000 a year, I think, for um, housing subsidies, just cash, giving it to them. But the that is a pass-through from FEMA to the state of Illinois and then to uh, local NGOs that pass this cash out to just tens of thousands of people. But they're also on your well, your municipal welfare roles. They are getting your subsidized, they're getting subsidized uh, food and they qualify after a short period of time for different kinds of, um, you know, like the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, it's slipping my mind, but the food stamps, mm -hmm. uh, really the full uh, basket of welfare benefits, federal, state, and local in all of these, in all free healthcare too. Uh, not to mention that you know, this is a child-centric mass migration crisis. If you had a kid, you got in. That was the ticket in. And so we, mm -hmm. as a result, we have, um, and these are not, these are kids that are all have to be um, enrolled in your public school districts. Mm -hmm. So you're having just thousands and tens of hundreds of thousands of children uh, who don't even speak English enrolling, and they don't have rooftops that are paying into the system, Right. Uh, for they're not paying a share of taxes into these right. into the system. And so um, they're having to go to taxpayers for bond elections and to spend millions and millions of dollars on these kind of uh, uh, mobile classrooms that get set up on the back 40, you know, that kind oh. of thing. The, la the last uh, time you were on the show, Todd, I think, or two couple times ago, uh, did you also say, because you mentioned sexual orientation is one of the five questions that's asked at the border by the adjudicators, uh, that uh, uh, a gay or lesbian uh, who is uh, prosecuted or persecuted in their home countries, that's maybe one of the quickest way to get into the country as an asylum seeker? It, yeah, I mean, but it's important to recognize that there is just massive fraud going on. Almost nobody coming across that border actually qualifies for asylum or humanitarian protection. Right. In my office here, I've got a bag up on my bookshelf here just filled with identity cards that I found on the riverbank uh, in Mexico. You can go there and just scoop them into, I mean, uh, tens of thousands of just discarded 
identity cards because most of the people that are coming in were already safely ensconced in third other countries working for years and years before the the American border suddenly mm-hmm. opened up and they were like, yeah, let's go. Um, and so before they uh, get here, you know, if they get caught with one of those, a Chilean ID or a, a passport that shows all the stamps uh, where they were, uh, then that's probably going to be a, a quick no on the initial screening. So they toss their cards at the, at the final end. Uh, but, you know, there is just massive fraud. I mean, they're just lying to at the border. They know exactly what to say. They're being coached. Say this, but don't say this. And one thing you never should say is I'm coming for a job. But what I, what I do is I interview them on the other before they ever get coached or uh, or anything like that. And they're almost always saying, ah, I'm, I'm coming to upgrade my lifestyle. I'm going to make more money. Uh, so but they can't say it once they get over or they're like a big no. And they toss their IDs and anything that might indicate that they've been living in Chile and Brazil and Colombia for years and years, working and happily safe and no problems at all from Venezuela or uh, from their terrible African Haitian government or any of that. I want to talk more about that and also about the story last week on 60 Minutes that a large number of those that have come to the United States in recent months are from China. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates if you run or manage a local business today you're challenged like never before we get it and we want to help we're salem surround we're a full service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day night and everywhere they might be if you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit surroundchicago.com. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, (laughs) tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. 
she could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont continues. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. And Todd Benjamin, along with Judith Sherwin and Mark Costello, join us. And uh, uh, I mentioned uh, uh, the the Chinese that uh, 60 Minutes focused on a couple of weeks ago. But I want to talk about something else that's even more germane because the number of people coming, at least, uh, has been reported. Uh, these are young, uh, you know, military-age uh, men, primarily, not without families. Uh, and my question to you is because in Chicago uh, there was a story that these new young folks from Central and South America, they are being recruited by local gang leaders in Chicago, and they are using them <clears throat> to be involved in the smash-and-grab robberies that we have in the city. And they do that because in exchange they get phony Social Security cards and phony ID cards. Can you talk any more about the gang infiltration or the or the end game with gangs for these, you know, hundreds of thousands that have come to the country? Well, it makes sense that, you know, young men who are on the make and don't have really anything to their name right. uh, and don't want to don't want to work a regular, you know, eight to five car washing job or mowing lawns. They can make a lot more and all these, they're very vulnerable to recruitment by local gangs or to form up their own gangs and figure out ways. Um, there, but none of this is really, uh, I, I don't think it's studied in a way that we can really put a, a, a number on it. We can't really get a good grab on it. It's anecdotal. Uh, you can right. find reports of this, isolated reports of this all over the country in local right. media. But somebody still has to come and sort of tie it together. I'm guessing government agencies, uh, county sheriffs, uh, state police and the like are probably trying now to get a, a, a fix on it. But I don't think it's developed and it's still so new. But we are looking at uh, years and years of this kind of new problem of a, at a higher level rate a higher level i just don't know what it is and we're also we're also we're also seeing as in the case of beating up the new york officers the incidents that happen in new york anything that happens in new york a local story becomes a national story and then you've got these guys that are now on the run somewhere because something was not done properly in new york or properly at least in in my view and so uh, it it just it it raises the specter of of all these things that could be happening. I mean, the threat and uh, the the threat and the likelihood, or the possibility, 
that these things can make our crime situation in America much worse. We're at the tip of the iceberg on, on telling that story. That, that that might be one of your next books, Todd, is just to talk about, uh, about you know, gang infiltration, as you say, once you get more, more data to, to write about it. Yeah, you have to remember that uh, a lot of the foreign nationals are coming in from 170 countries other than Mexico and Central America. Right. And in a lot of these places, it's the norm to uh, beat up on police and to riot uh, and to get your way. Uh, you, you don't have normal outlets uh, in a lot of countries other than to just make a big physical stink about whatever it is you're mad about. So right. Some of that's going to come into our country. We're, we're starting to see it uh, here and there. Uh, but again, uh, you know, hopefully the local police, state, local uh, and federal police can get a handle on it. But we are going to be seeing a lot more of this kind of thing. You just can't get you can't escape it. You can't have six million, 10 million people come into your country in, you know, 36, you know, 48 months is uh, some, and not is, for this kind of thing. Because not just exclusively because they're coming from China, but again, uh, China was the focus of 60 Minutes last week. My question is that with because we've been talking about the numbers we've been using are those that are going through the system that we have. But there's a term called the getaways. These are people that literally have gotten away. They they haven't they haven't gone to an NGO. They're just they're they've they've run the border and they've hopped on a bus or whatever, and they're somewhere in the country. So we don't know how many of them. But is it inevitable, Todd, that there will be some terrorist incident somewhere, and it will be tracked back to one of these uh, getaways? that have come to the country. Is that inevitable? I really, I really hope not. My fingers are crossed, but I do. I wrote a whole book about this. America's covert border war is only about this. So I am like the guy who wrote the book on that. Right. Uh, but I, I think that the risk of, of something like that happening is much elevated uh, than what it was when I wrote the book and published it in 2021 because mm -hmm. of the mass migration crisis. We have seen record numbers of people on the uh, FBI's terrorism watch list get caught, about 330 in, in the last three years, when in a typical year we might get 10. Uh, so now we're, we're in the hundreds and hundreds. And um, it's just we've had probably 2 million that we of uh, different kinds of nationalities that through undetected that are uh, what you call gotaways. Uh, that itself is a massive record. We've never had that many gotaways in the country. And we do, we, they're getting away because Border Patrol is in the, the big soft-sided uh, facilities processing everybody. So they're not out on the line. Mm -hmm. Two million have gotten into the interior this way. And that's a bad uh, pool, a very contaminated pool. Because if they're not giving themselves up, it's probably because they've got a record of some kind that would mm -hmm. disqualify them if they give themselves up. Well, so yeah, I, I do believe that probably uh, people who are you know inclined or predisposed or members of terrorist organizations got through. Of course they did, um, and they got and probably, they got through and they got through for in many cases many 
Uh, they got through because they have a purpose. I don't know what the number is. Just remember, 9-11 started with 19 people. Uh, there's a hell of a lot more than 19, I think we're talking about. Todd Benzman, we are out of time. America's Covert War and also Overrun are the two books that you've written. You're an expert on the subject. Thank you very much for being with us this evening. Judith Sherwin, thank you very much. Mark Costello, thank you very much for being with us as well. As well as the great Fritz Goldman. We couldn't, nobody would hear us without Fritz Goldman. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. This is Carol Platt-Lebow for townhall.com. The illegal immigration crisis isn't just what's happening at the border. Many who come here illegally are simply in search of a better life, but others are criminals. And too many of our leaders, who are supposed to uphold our laws,